I did. Even after coming out, I did. And I'm grateful for that. I didn't know that that journey would be that way. And it's not that way for so many. So in so many ways, I do take on that responsibility of telling those stories and telling my story because there are families out here that are accepting and there are families out here that will welcome you with open arms, right? After coming out. And I think that story isn't told enough. And I also hold space for those who can never do that, right? And that's why we do the work. That's why it's important to be visible. That's why visibility matters. That's why representation matters because people need to know that you can thrive. Podcast Junkies, episode 302. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Newcomers, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the show where we search out interesting voices in podcasting, get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind. In case you missed last week's fantastic episode, we had a deep dive on geeking out all things podcast and marketing with none other than Jeremy Enns, founder of Podcast Marketing Academy where he helps scrappy brands and creators hit their podcast growth milestones with a step-by-step playbook. He's running a fantastic workshop this week as of the time of the publishing of this episode. If you wanted to learn more, head on over to my LinkedIn page. It's my latest post or on my Twitter account, Harry Duran FC, or you can go to fullcast.co forward slash MPMM for the minimalist podcast marketing method. That's fullcast.co forward slash MPMM. It's a free three-day workshop on all things podcast marketing. I highly recommend it. If you want to learn a little bit more about Jeremy and all about his extensive experience in audio, I highly recommend you going back and checking out that episode. It's really, really a great uh, deep dive masterclass into podcast and marketing, and you'll learn a lot about Jeremy and what makes him tick, which is fun as well. This week, we speak to someone that I met at PodFest, Anna Deshawn. She's the founder and CEO of E3 Radio. It's an online radio station playing queer and independent music in high rotation, and she joins the show to discuss the work she does as a social entrepreneur building digital media platforms that center and celebrate BIPOC and QTPOC creatives. She shares her unique intersectional lens through which she views life and speaks to the importance of amplifying the stories of underrepresented groups and individuals who deserve to be heard. I knew that once I met her at the booth she had at PodFest, I wanted to have her on. We had such an interesting conversation. I can't wait to share this with you. And it was really fascinating to hear her story, her ups and downs, and how she's been able to persevere. As an added bonus, we got to connect <laughs> randomly at Podcast Movement, uh, playing skee-ball, Anna, if you remember, <laughs> that was a fun surprise. And uh, it was great to give her a big hug in person. So it's always fun when stuff like that happens in the world of podcasting. As a reminder, if you're enjoying this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. As always, you'll hear me every episode push you slightly out of your comfort zone and remind you to check out the great work being done by the team at Podcasting 2.0. The easiest way to get set up is head on over to podcasterwallet.com and get started setting up your show and enabling it for value for value, which is what allows you to receive uh, micropayments in the form of Satoshis. I know a lot of this is bleeding edge technology and I mention it every episode, but I really think it's the future of direct compensation from the listeners to the hosts of the shows that we love. I have a future interview coming up with Moritz, the founder of Albi, which is a wallet integration, and we'll dive deep into some of the specifics on how to get this set up. But if you want to learn more, you can always hit me up, harry at podcastjunkies.com. Happy to show you the ropes if that helps. And if you're wondering how to participate as a listener, you can head on over to newpodcastapps.com to learn more and find an app that supports value for value. One of the popular ones is Fountain, and they actually provide you with Satoshis to get started with your account. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted interview with Anna, a few words from the folks that support this show. I'm grateful for the opportunity to partner with Focusrite. I'm so excited to talk about their newest line of sound cards, the Vocaster. It's got an endless list of features. I'll go through a couple here. Auto gain, easily set your levels with the click of a button. With more than enough gain on tap, 70 dB, no booster needed. An enhanced feature, which allows four podcaster-approved voice presets, which will bring out the best in any voice. You can silence the mic with the touch of a mute button. 
and record phone calls, high quality music, or any audio from your device seamlessly. You can record to a camera directly to its memory card. It's got a loopback feature to stream calls or any other audio you can think of from your computer. And three amazing packages of software, Hindenburg Lite, three months of Squadcast Pro plus video, and six months of Acast Influencer. What an amazing package. You can learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster. So Anna Deshawn, founder and CEO of E3 Radio and co-founder and CEO of The Cube. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Thank you for having me on Podcast Junkies. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you. So we connected at PodFest, right? Was it PodFest? Yeah, yes. Pod. Yes. Was that your first podcasting conference? It was not. Okay. It was not. I started my podcast conference journey yeah. <laughs> last year okay. and PodFest last year was my first in-person podcasting conference okay. so this year i felt like a vet <laughs> was this the first year you had a booth or did you have a booth last year as well it was the first year we had a booth. okay what was your experience like last year the first time you went just to see all those podcasters in the same room what was funny is like last year right we were in the midst of covid yeah. and so and i went to the smaller version of podcast okay. And so it was like the old school been at PodFest since the beginning of PodFest. Yeah, the OGs, people. OGs. Yeah, the OG PodFest. So I had a wonderful experience. I actually connected with some folks who I'm still friends with and connected to today. And we see each other at conferences and support each other's work. Yeah. And so, yeah, and Chris has been really supportive. What's interesting about everyone that speaks and connects with the PodFest community, and I don't know if you had the chance to go to other conferences now because there's podcast movement, but there's something about PodFest and why everyone that connects with and knows Chris realizes what something special that he's built. Because everyone that mentions PodFest, the next word they say is usually community, <laughs> because there's something about how he's been able to bring people together. And I'm wondering if that's been your experience as well. It has. So... My experience at PodFest has been that of community. I feel like everyone's really tight-knit, but I feel like that's what they cultivate. So I feel like they intentionally have the meetups prior to the conference. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever seen anyone do such a thing. I don't think anybody wants to. <laughs> PodFest, they have a desire to do that. So there is this built-in community, this core group of people, but there's a big core group of people large enough enough to justify having an annual conference, you know, twice a year. Right. So I think they're intentional about that. Yeah. And I think that's what you get out of PodFest. So let's rewind the clock back a little bit. First of all, where's home for you? Home in Chicago, South side. Yeah. So we're sharing a time zone. I'm in Minneapolis. So. <laughs> okay. Midwest. Yeah. The I'm new to the Midwest. I grew up in New York though. And that's on okay. the East Coaster. And then I lived in LA prior to Minneapolis. So the Midwest is interesting. It's been Interesting to, to learn the weather patterns, and everyone just talks about the weather in the Midwest. I mean, that's all there is to talk about outside of Chicago, isn't it? <laughs> I, New York to LA to Minneapolis, that's quite the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, a little stint in, in Atlanta for a bit as well. Too. Okay, all right. So what was your entrepreneurial journey like? Was it, how did that start? It seems like just from the little look that I've done online, you've got your hands in a lot of projects. And I'm just wondering, like, if you can think back when that bug struck you, like, when you realized, like, doing your own thing was probably going to be the path for you. Very early on. I mean, I had the idea for the radio station when I was an undergrad. Oh, okay. And I've always felt like entrepreneurship was where I fit because I'm not good at compromising my own morals or ethics. And I'm also have never been great at following the lead of someone else necessarily and that I don't agree with. So that's the challenge for me. And so I knew very early on that I wanted to do my own thing, but also there's a lot of things that come with that. There's a lot of fear that comes with that. There's a lot of uncertainty. I didn't study business or anything like that. So you have to teach yourself things. You have to study a lot, learn a lot. And so I went through a lot of stages in this journey of idea to making it real, to executing it, to quitting corporate after 11, 12 years, and then really stepping out on faith and deciding it was the time to do my own thing. So it's been a, someone said to me recently, 
Anna, it's just been like overnight. You've just been doing this for a couple of <laughs> years, right? Just like, like two years. I'm like, yeah. well, actually, my first show was in November of 2009, but I love feeling like an overnight success. And so we kind of laughed about that. I mean, that's pretty much how this thing works, right? I think some people like this. There's this saying that's like an overnight success, 10 years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> that's the shirt, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. That's the shirt, yes. What were you doing in the corporate world? I was doing virtual events oh, okay. and webinars and was in that world since I finished my master's work. So it was, it is the only thing I've done since school. Interesting. And it's funny because I studied radio TV production. I got my master's in communications. And so to work in media and communications, that's just, it's hilarious because most people don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But it's so funny that to be ahead of the curve with virtual events and talk about being prepared for what was to come in 2020. First off, no one saw that no, coming. No. All right. No one saw COVID coming from a mile away. And I literally was blown away. And it was actually one of the reasons I had to get out because the whole world converged upon our business in the midst of a global pandemic. And so you're at home trying to figure it out. And it was just so much. It was a lot to feel because I was at a company that was one of a handful that could manage large scale corporate events and global audiences. Oh. And so corporate 500, corporate 100, fortune 100, corporate 500 companies, you know what I mean? And so they demand a lot. They look for a lot and there's a lot of demands. So it was quite the time to be in that world where we were pitching virtual events to companies for years and they would laugh at us, <laughs> right? Everybody wants to meet in person. This ain't going to work. And then come 2020, and they ain't got no choice. Yeah, they come crawling back to you at that point. Crawling. And us having to say no, yeah, right? Wow. Or not right now. Or there's a three-month wait. You have to wait. There is no date, right? There was The world we were managing was, there was nothing like, and we were already busy. So let's also be very clear, right? There was a world of webinars and webcasting where we were already busy. I mean, we were producing easily... At one point, 150 webinars a day around the world, easily at least. And so to have COVID hit, right? And then that, it was incredible. Yeah, nuts. Good word. When you think, when you look back, because obviously hindsight is 2020, what do you think were some of the learnings for you in terms of your involvement in the company and just working through that, you know, that year, those two years of craziness? Oh, that's a, I got a lot of learnings. I think the biggest one is that, All money isn't good money. All money is not good money because you have to be able to scale while also taking care of your people. And there was a lot of not taking care of your people because you, the money, because of the money. All right. And let's be clear. It's corporate. It's capitalism. That's what we live in. And so that's what it was. But when folks are taking FMLA like vacation, just in the middle of the day, just like I'm out. All right. I can't do this anymore. And they're leaving 20 projects on the table for other people to pick up. It becomes an impossible situation. So I think for me, one of my biggest learnings out of all of it was that all money is not good money and that you have to take care of your people. Your people make it happen. Selling selling during COVID, there was nothing to sell. No one had a choice, right? There's nothing there. But the key part, though, is that you have to make sure people know that they are appreciated You've got to figure out how to scale to support the work. Yeah, you just got to take care of your people. That's such an important reminder because I think a lot of people forget that a company is made up of of some of the individual people that have to keep all the parts moving and they all have to work in harmony and they all have to be happy with the work that they're doing. And I was, I'm in one of the companies that I advise, we were on a meeting and we were just talking about how a company is only as strong as the weakest performer on the team. And if they're not happy, it's just a ripple effect. And there could be a a variety of reasons. You know, part of it is because you're not talking to your people or because you're not taking care of your people, (laughs) you know, and a bunch of other stuff as well. So talk about a little bit of the, is there, was there an overlap with your entrepreneurial journey or was there just like a clean break? And when did E3 radio start to come alive? Oh, there was definitely a lot of overlap. So I started right in 2000, November, 2009. And I worked there throughout the entire time I was working the radio station. So the radio station was a passion project for, for 10 years before I quit my job last year to do it full time. So 
it always cracked me up when people thought that I was doing the radio station full time then, yeah. right? Because I was like, oh, you think I do this full time? That's so great. Yeah. That's so hilarious. Uh, no, I've got a very demanding full time, more than full time corporate job in which I had a lot of leadership roles in as well. I was responsible for teams. I was responsible for contracts, renewals. I had a lot of responsibility. So it wasn't just showing up and leaving, as we all well know. You know, it was easily 12, 13 hour days. So the radio station was a passion. That's what it was. I just couldn't let it go. Right. And so that's really was that moment during COVID and the whole world was resetting and we had caught COVID here in my house and my wife needing to get hospitalized and sit in a bubble and have a treatment because we caught it early in the COVID journeys. So early 2020. So lots of things were still very uncertain then. And so getting hit at that moment with COVID, it was just like, it's time, right? It's just all these things came together. There was no more excuses. There was no more corporate was, I was done. I was worn out. I had nothing else to give there time. At that point, we were sitting for a month and some change with COVID because you just didn't know, right? So I'm sitting at home, not doing nothing for six weeks and wondering what am I going to do with my life? What am I doing with my time? And how am I spending my time? And am I happy with how I'm spending my time? And is it bringing me joy? And it wasn't. What I was doing at that time was not giving me any joy anymore. And so that was really the precipice for me saying, it's time to just take the big leap of faith, not make any more excuses and not live with any regrets and see what I can make out of this thing. What can I do if I actually did it full time? People think I'm doing it full time. Now, what if actually I gave everything that I've been given to corporate uh, to this? So that's where it all started. It's interesting. Everyone's got their own COVID journey. One of my best friends from high school passed. He went in and we thought he was going to recover. We hadn't been in touch for like years, but he was literally like my best friend for like the four years of high school and like in college, we were just really tight. So to have someone that's in your age, not make it, it was really shocking. But also to your point, I think they called it the great reset. And in a way, it was a blessing to help a lot of people realize and wake up to like what was going on. And are you on is your life is your career on a hamster wheel, and you just didn't even realize it. And we had to like shock ourselves out of that. And it's been for a lot of people, a good wake up call and a good reset to just figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life and, and how much of it they want it to be meaningful and do things that light you up. And so that sounded like what happened to you. A hundred and fifty percent. That's exactly what happened to me. That's exactly what happened to me. So. When did the idea for the radio station come up? Like, what inspired you to do that? I imagine it's not an easy task. And was it all web-based? Was there a terrestrial component to it? And like, what? I'm just curious about that origin story. Yeah, so it came to me in college because I was learning about all these amazing Black women I had never heard of before in movement work from Ella Baker to Fannie Lou Hammer to Elaine Brown, like these just phenomenal Black women who are not on the posters, okay, for Black History Month. And I was just frustrated. Does it take me to go to higher education and learn about these amazing Black women in these movements? And I was studying radio, TV production, and I've always loved media. I love, always love the power of media. And so it came to me, I was like, I wonder if I can just do a whole bunch of PSAs around these stories and then distribute them to college radio stations and then get advertisers and then be able to spread this message. So we actually started as a college radio network. And then I quickly realized that college radio was not stable enough in that, you know, they have advisors who just put their names so that there's a club and that there were very few that ran efficiently, but then there was also just high turnover because it's a college. So Who's running it this year is not who's running it next sure. year. Who's not running it the year after that, right? And so it didn't work out. And I was like, well, maybe I just start my own show and start my own commercial and play my own commercials. Okay. And then the three E's of E3 stand for educate, enlighten, and entertain, which was the foundation for a political campaign. I ran in undergrad when I was running for student activities board president. So I ran on the platform of to educate empower was the other E at that time. Educate, empower, and enlighten were the three E's of that student activities board presidential campaign, which 
I did pretty well. I actually took it to a runoff, but I'm not Greek, so that just went out the window. <laughs> I did pretty, I did great. I ended up with another position, but that was the foundation of the three E's was that campaign. And when I started thinking about these PSAs and starting my own show, the three E's just always stuck just stuck with me. They just they stayed. And so I just flipped in power for entertainment. And so that's what the three E's stand for. It's funny, Harry, that like not many people ask me about the origin story for the radio station, but that is it. And that's where we got started was as a college radio network. And then over the years, we've had lots of shows. It's, it's changed a lot. So I started with my own show. Then I brought on another show and I just brought on another show. And so I was producing at one point, probably five or six different shows for the radio station. And then that began to get too much. As we've talked about, my corporate job was very demanding. And then also working with people is challenging. Life be living a lot. And so it's hard for people to stay consistent. And it's also very challenging to market something that's at like Thursdays at 10 o'clock and then Fridays at two o'clock and then Saturdays at three. Like it's almost impossible to market that. And it hit me that maybe we should just be on all the time. Eventually, the technology met us where we were at. <laughs> right, we kind of had to move where technology was, but then at some point it did hit where it was like the opportunities to have to play music all day long, and then we could have live shows as well in an online format that didn't originate from a traditional radio studio, right? And so technology finally caught up with us, and then we switched to being on twenty four seven three sixty five, wow. which was a whole new beast <laughs> of a whole new model that we entered into, but it was also really great. Because now, and that's what we are today. We're on 24-7, 365, playing queer music, reporting on queer news with our queer news podcast, and people can tune in from our website. And then the evolution of that will be the Cube, where people can listen then within the Cube app anytime they want on the go. Because that was the next challenge was like, how can we make it more accessible for people to listen? And so that's that's the Cube. So I'm getting a lot of like, hustle energy from you <laughs> so. <laughs> so much hustle energy here i'm on the go okay there's this like i can't even tell you how many meetings i've had today are you into hamilton i not as much like not die hard but i okay. yeah so i haven't gone to actually see the play but and i I've, you haven't have you listened to the soundtrack a couple of songs yeah yeah a couple of songs okay here i'm not gonna judge you okay <laughs> <laughs> but there is a piece to hamilton where they talk about him not running out of time. Like the song goes like writing, you're working like you're running out of time. And there's this whole song, it's wonderful, but it's just talking about how much he wrote Alexander Hamilton alone when it came to the constitution, when it came to all of his other writings. And they were, and people were just always so baffled. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Slow down, breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just worked like he was running out of time. That's how I feel coming out of COVID. That's how I feel when I look at my bank account. That's how I feel when it's time to do payroll. And I think that's why entrepreneurship is not for everybody because you have to have some get up and go even when you don't feel like get up and going. And because you don't have an option because people are depending on you, right? And there's a level of responsibility that comes with that and it's hard. And I'm saying that because I've had some, like this past two and a half weeks have been extremely hard. Probably the hardest of that I've felt on this whole entrepreneurial journey. And there is this hustle that I just have to tap into. There's this goal, this energy that I have to tap into. I ain't got time to waste. Like, we got to go. <laughs> what was your childhood like? Were you like lemonade stands or like? <laughs> <laughs> well, my mother says that I was I always had like, I always had an activist spirit. Oh, interesting. Yeah. My mother tells a lot of stories around things I would say <laughs> after learning something and uh, and the things I would do or just how I would interact with people or always wanting to be of service to people. But I get that from them, too. I get that from my parents. And so I was raised by my mom and dad, south side of Chicago. I have an older sister who's 17 years older than me. I grew up in the church, very religious family. I th- grew up in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. And my father's side of the family had a missionary Baptist church. And so I was in church on Wednesdays and Sundays and choir rehearsals and vacation Bible school and everything you could think of, two Easter speeches, two Christmas speeches, like 
I grew up very religious and also very athletic family. So my father played semi-pro football, okay. went to school, football and track scholarships for college. So I grew up a gym rat and my childhood was pretty dope. My parents are amazing. My family is amazing. They work hard, hardworking people. I get it honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great that you had that support from your family as well. I did. Even after coming out, I did. And I'm grateful for that. I didn't know that that journey would be that way. And it's not that way for so many. So in so many ways, I do take on that responsibility of telling those stories and telling my story because there are families out here that are accepting and there are families out here that will welcome you with open arms, right? After coming out. Yeah. And I think that story isn't told enough. And I also hold space for those who can never do that, right? And that's why we do the work. That's why it's important to be visible. That's why visibility matters. That's why representation matters because people need to know that you can thrive in being all of who you are. Then you don't have to be one thing one place and be another thing somewhere else to make other people feel comfortable, right? Like you can be comfortable being you and other people will have to adjust or leave, right? Like that's the point you want to get people to. How old were you when you came out? Question. I was in college. Let's see. I was 18 when I went, probably like 19, like 19. I think I was at the end of my freshman year. It was all coming to a head at at the end of my freshman (laughs) year. Yeah. (laughs) Cause I wasn't out at home, but I was out at school. And so it was all coming to a head because they were coming home with me. It was was a contingent from Chicago. And like, of course I had a girlfriend and like, it was just, yeah. So I feel like I was 18 or 19. Did it feel like the energy I feel around that is almost like cocoon into a butterfly? There is that. I could see that. Yeah. There is a freeness that comes sure. with after, with coming out. There's a weight that's lifted after you speak your truth. And often, well, for me, I'll speak for me, and I think it's true for others as well that I've spoken to, is that after you tell those that are closest to you, whether that's your parents or your grandparents, whoever raised you, you could care less what anybody else in the world yeah. has to think about it, right? So after I did that, I really did pretty much care less what anyone else had to say. But I will say that I definitely was preparing for it not to go well, right? I, I spoke about being from a religious family. I was prepared to have a chosen family for the rest of my life, right? I was preparing myself for what that could mean just because you just don't know. You just don't know how your parents or those that you are closest to will react to that type of news because they have their own ideas about who you're going to be. They raised you before you knew who you were. Right. And so there's just, gosh, it's just, you just don't know. So after that though, yeah, you realize now what? (laughs) Yeah. Cause that's once that weight's been lifted, it feels like, sounds like that begins to then open up a whole new world of possibilities because you've tackled that and you're like, okay, you know, to your point now, what's possible and what, where, what else, what other ceilings can I break through? Or not. How about that's the only one I want to break? (laughs) That's the only thing I want to do. But there is. Because for me, before coming out, my life was very segmented because some people couldn't know the secret, right? So you end up segmenting your friends, your families, your stories, what you will say in front of some and not in front of others. Like when you start to compartmentalize your life in that way, it's really damaging to your spirit. Oh, yeah. Right. Your mental health. So, I mean, yeah, all of that. And so after you do that, then you release all that and you begin to break it down. You realize in, in therapy, okay, therapy saves lives. Okay. And then so you begin to understand all of that and begin to let it all go. You realize, oh, okay, I'm done with that. Now, all these other amazing things about Analyx Radio, Analyx Podcasting, yeah. Analyx Sports, Analyx, you know, like, let's get on with life. Yeah. There's a lot of life, yeah. right? We have far more in common than we don't in that way. So, Did you always envision E3 Radio as something you were building to support the community from, the, from day one? Yeah. yeah, from day one. Okay. It was always to amplify Black LGBTQ stories in Chicago and across the country. It was always meant to do that. How big has the team been? Has it gotten big and then gotten smaller? I'm just curious, just how many people you need to run a radio station? (laughs) Ideally, to run a radio station, I mean, you got at least five people in an ideal world, full-time people. 
someone to run the day to day every day, somebody to run all the programming, someone to run all the sales and all the ads, right? And then probably someone to do like all of the community relationship building and development work. But then honestly, like if you're doing hosting and stuff, you probably need another 10 people to host uh, or yeah. as far as hosts are concerned, if you're doing live shows. So we haven't gotten to that place yet where we've got full time DJs on every single day. Sure. We haven't gotten to that scale just yet. The, the, t- the, the number of people involved has definitely ebbed and flowed as my capacity ebbed and flowed over the last decade. So where I had capacity, we had a lot of shows. And when I didn't, we didn't have a lot of people involved, right? And so it's definitely changes. And I realized that a few years ago, the station moved as I moved. And I didn't really understand that until I really started digging in. I'm like, all right, I did all of that. And then the listenership went up. Interesting. (laughs) Or I didn't do all that and the listenership didn't move. (laughs) Interesting, right? So it's it's all part of the journey. And the just... From a logistical perspective, it's an online radio station. What are the distribution channels for channels? Because I, I, you know, when you think of like old school, I grew up in the eighties, so like radio is like turn on the radio. <laughs> and so, me too. Yeah, what's that hybrid like now in the digital world? Yeah, there's lots of places, directories, radio directories. Okay. We like submitted the station to. I mean, we've been doing this like years ago, right? And so it's better for search engines and all that good stuff. And we started on Blog Talk Radio because of the community that was there and all that good stuff, right? So that's where we started our work. And then we moved to being on 24-7. And so that's when we went to, like, putting it out on the radio directories for people to find us. But for us, because of our specific niche with LGBTQ folks and telling LGBTQ stories, it was more about me just connecting with our community and letting them know that we were available and a resource and wanting to tell their stories and want to talk about issues in the community and have guests on and like what's happening right now with LGBTQ folks. And so is it a movie coming out? Is there something we should be talking about? Is there a political issue? Like what's the hot topic? Is it relationships? People love talking about relationships. (laughs) We're talking about that this week. So for me, it was less about directories, even though we did that and more about finding our audience. And the, the station is specifically the the merge, the, the sort of like the connection of LGBTQ and POC? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I bring all of myself to the station. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's often missed, right? So out of the top 50 LGBTQ media outlets today, none of them focus on people of color. Oh, wow. None of them center people of color. The top 50 don't, right? And so it's just really important to me to do that work. Yeah. Because our experiences are different. I literally... So... I do the queer news podcast for the radio station, right? So we do it every day. And one day the stories were the shooting in Buffalo had just happened. Brittany Griner's extension in Russia had just occurred. And then the Roe v. Wade decision was leaked all in the same day. Jeez. Like that was the news cycle that day. And I it took me hours to get this podcast out because I write the scripts and I was like, I had to do a TikTok and just tell people, like, this is what it means to live at the intersections for me, like my intersections, right? As a black queer woman, all three of my identities had a fight that day, okay? Right? And what does that mean for me? (laughs) And what does that mean for my narrative? What does that mean for my social location? I am exhausted. What am I fighting today? But they were all powerful stories that needed to be told that day. But also my anger was just on another level in that moment. And so, absolutely, our content is at the intersections of race and sexuality and gender identity because it is different for people of color. It just is. And I think there's a lot to tackle there, a lot to talk about, discuss, a lot of beautiful things and a lot of joy, too, to celebrate, right, and to get into. And the depth and breadth of that deserves a trusted media source. Where do you pull your power from? Shirley Chisholm. I'm, like, sitting here looking at my desk, like, Shirley Chisholm. Ella Baker, Ida B. Wells is back here. My family is over here. I come from a family of folks who fought. They were fighters. My mom's family were fighters. They were civil rights folks. They were from the South, right? They made it happen for themselves. And my father's side of the family, right, in Chicago, surviving in the projects, making it out, making it 
opportunities better for me and our generation. I get a lot of strength from my own history, my own lineage. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I think the story of this country and its relationship to people of color is just so complicated and long and something that people don't want to face sometimes. I'm Latino. I was born in El Salvador, so immigrant parents. And I remember living in Atlanta for a couple of years and going to the MLK like museum and just like the visceral reaction because you read about stuff and then you see the pictures and it just like shakes you to the core to think like that we're capable of like as human beings, like of behavior like that. And it's just like, and then just the education, like the first time I heard Shirley Chisholm was on a Biz Marquis song. <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's Shirley Chisholm. <laughs> that was so crazy. <laughs> Why is that the case? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Even though big ups to Biz Marquis <laughs> for being who he is, you know, who he was. That, that line, right? Reagan is the prince, but I voted for Shirley Chisholm. That yes. I grew up in the 80s, so that's 80s hip hop and stuff. So it was just cool. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, but that's real. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm public enemy. Like, I was like, whoa, like, I just, like, I got a, just a interesting, like, if you're curious, you're just like, oh, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Like, and what's that story about? And, like, why are they passionate about, like, putting it in their lyrics? Like, it's like, what's the effect it's had on their lives? And I think when you come at it with a sense of, gen- like, curiosity, and understanding, like, I remember sociology class, like, I got to college, and they gave us the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I, re- I remember reading it. And I was like, Whoa, like, how come it's the first time I'm like, <laughs> learning all this? I mean, but it is what it is. I mean, I went, I went to like an all boys Catholic high school in like New York. And so like, unless you'd like, have someone who's going to teach you all the history, not just they always say like, history is written by the victors, <laughs> right? You never, you never hear both sides. So I think there is something inherent in learning if you're open to learning and you want to learn and you're putting yourself and then realizing what you may have been taught may not be the whole story. So like you got to like expand your knowledge. And I've, I've been that's why I've been grateful to like grow up in place like New York and big cities, melting pot cultures, you know, LA. And so it's been a real journey and just continues to expand for me. And that's why I'm just like always like putting myself, I'm grateful for the podcast. I'm eight plus years, 300 plus conversations on the show. And just like, I want to talk to interesting people doing interesting things. And it really continues to expand and color my view of the world and just understanding all the intricacies and then mixing in the sexual identity conversations as well, which are continue to evolve. Just been a a fascinating education for me and uh, applaud like all the work and the struggle you've had to go through on multiple fronts to get to where you are now. What you said about curiosity really resonated with me because that is what is necessary. It is necessary to be curious and to hear your story of immigration and right and being Latinx is so incredibly important because we will stay in our boxes if we are left to our own devices. And I challenge people all the time. How much do you know about Latinx culture? How much do you know? It is like, it is vast. Okay. Like there is a lot to Latin America. There's a lot more than just whatever America has done to it. Okay. Like, please like watch some Latinx content, watch some AAPI content, watch something that doesn't look like you be curious about other religions, be curious about other parts of the world. The Native American experience, I mean, just what that just how just just got completely wiped off, like the face of the. It's... How do we not talk about indigenous people? How do we not talk about the fact that we're on stolen land? Yeah. Like that is just a fact. Like there's one thing if there, everyone has an opinion, but there's some things that are just fact. Right. And that's a fact. <laughs> we were not the first ones here. This land belongs to natives and to the indigenous people. Yeah. And honestly, like this goes into my social justice stuff that my mama saw was in me very early on. But it's just like nothing is right. Nothing will be right until that wrong is corrected. Like that's just a fact. This is nothing you can do that's just going to make this country better without reconciling with indigenous people and their land and and the way that it was co-opted. Stolen. Just straight up stolen. Genocide. Genocide. And I think what's the challenge is that history is a hard subject to teach teenagers. And if we stop teaching 
when they're 16 and 17 years old, that is the problem, (laughs) right? Learning, curiosity, learning is curiosity, but it has to be continually tapped into. You have to, and it has to be connected to them, right? And I think oftentimes history doesn't do a good job of connecting all the pieces. So I think, yeah, I love the idea of being curious about that. It's been interesting for me because I'm in Minneapolis now. So the homogenous culture sometimes is a bit of a shock. But I think for me, in a way, it's another phase for me to say, okay, wait, I don't want to make a preconceived like judgment about just white people in general, because there's others, there's layers there too. And and there's different stories. And also there's a strong Native American like culture here. You can see it in how some of the lakes got like renamed and like, away from <laughs> away from the slave owners to like it's now called the Nate like there's a lake here called now changed from Lake Calhoun to Bidet Makaska, which is like the Native American name, you know, and it's like understanding like, oh, even Minneapolis itself, I think there's origin in Native American culture. And you see you start to see it, you look at the map and you're like, whoa. And then you see some of these maps of territories of Native Americans, like the old ones that show like the big swaths of land that were theirs. And that cross state boundaries and then just like just slowly how just that, that got eroded. And it's just been helpful and hopeful <laughs> to see some of those conversations happening. Some of that being like given back to them so they can rightfully do what they want with that with their own land. And that needs to happen all across this country. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the connections between those names of things yeah. that are indigenous and making those connections for young people. And recognizing it, right? We could go through this all day. <laughs> so it's some. This is where the part where I try to bring everything together because we were on okay. a podcast, right? So I'm curious, like your radio station, you got that on unlock. When did the podcasting, like, when is it on your radar? You're like, oh, what's this podcasting thing? When did you start to realize, oh, there's there's some synergies there? I'm curious about your awareness <laughs> with the podcasting space. Oh, very early on. Okay, because blog talk. When you started the show, it had an RSS feed, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So we had a podcast, Cycling Relate, since 2009. If you go, if y'all go listen to it, you'll see it was 2009, okay? Most of the time I was talking to myself. <laughs> but it is there, yeah. right? There's this archive of that work. I was very aware of it, and I fought it for a long time. I was like, I'm in radio, okay? That's funny. I'm in radio. I do live stuff, okay? Can't, can't be playing around with those podcasting amateurs. I ain't doing no podcast. <laughs> I ain't doing no podcast. There is a podcast. You can listen to the show afterwards on Apple. If you want, we live, we're radio. I thought I said that for a long, long time. And then I just realized that uh, podcasting wasn't going away. One. And two, that I started listening to some that. I was like, oh, I kind of like it though. I like this idea. And then we just became more and more and more of an on-demand culture. Like it just, the culture just has slowly transitioned from being a place where of live content to a place of on-demand content, binge content. Thank you, Netflix. Right. (laughs) Thank you, Netflix. Okay. Of one of many places that started that whole movement. Thank you, YouTube. YouTube. It sort of trained everyone to be cool with like binging, drop in like multiple, because at least multiple episodes, not having to, to I'd grown up in the era where if you're watching TV, it's like eight o'clock Thursdays, must see TV. <laughs> Yo, TGIF, don't miss, I'm saying family matters. Family matters. You're going to be sad. You're going to be sad. There was no video on demand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you catch it on the VCR? Like, did you record yeah, it right? Yeah. No, it's no, just gone. Yeah. It's just gone. Yeah. Right. We went from, <laughs> from that to, YouTube, to Netflix and chill, to these, to video on demand, to be able to record, right, on your television, right? Yeah, it went all those places. And then I realized, yeah, no, podcast is legit. Got it. (laughs) Noted. And I also just started getting into them and getting into the idea of them. And it's, I mean, it's incredible the amount of growth it's had over the last 20 years. How does that now incorporate it into your strategy for what you're doing at E3? Well, it's really the evolution of it in so many ways. I, I do love live. Don't get me wrong. But the magic is right now for sure is in the on demand. So I am, 
<laughs> looking to create this platform that I really, really believe in called the Cube, Q-U-B-E. And the idea is that you can listen to the radio station inside of this really dope app. And you can listen to us on the go, which is really challenging right now from our website. So that was the first impetus for the cube. But then how about you also come in here and find the best and dopest black indigenous people of color podcasts in here too. And how about you put in your podcasting preferences and select your identities and allow algorithm and recommendations to help you discover content that you can't find in these other places. I think there's a real need for discoverability in podcasting. To put it plainly, I think discoverability sucks. And if you're asking people or telling people that they need to have a blog on an SEO on top of producing the audio for the podcast consistently, you're asking for a lot. You're asking for a lot, especially when most people are not getting paid. I'd probably say 90% of people in podcasting are not getting paid. So how do we fix that? And for me, that came up in conversation with my co-founders as we were ideating or ideating around what the app could look like. It was just like, where we find these podcasts at? I just hear about it from people, right? (laughs) Word of mouth. Someone told me this was a good one to check out. I checked it out. I thought it was okay. But where are the others? Like That was really at the heart of it and at the beginning of it. And now, blown away by the reception people have given us with the idea of what we're building. And we've accepted 94 podcasts into the app now. And I know that there's hundreds and thousands and thousands of more to come, right? And if we can really create a place of discovery for these podcasts and hopefully then increase their listenership, then hopefully they'll be able to monetize in whichever ways that they wish to do so, then we can be a help to the entire podcasting ecosystem. Like we can make this a more equitable place. And my hope is that we can also challenge these larger players in the space to be more equitable to indie podcasters, right? And to BIPOC podcasters and Think about them as well in the midst of all of these major networks that are getting in the game right now. Where do you start? I mean, I've done a little bit of mobile app stuff back in the day because I grew up uh, DJing. Like my house music is my jams. Oh, <laughs> I, nice. I had a friend of mine. Well, you know, I'm in Chicago. Chicago. Let's yeah, go. Derek Carter. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. Yes. I, I get the sense you're like, okay, I think we need an app. And then you start down that path and you're like, we'll figure out the rest as we go. <laughs> so like finding developers and all that sort of stuff, man. I am so that person. I'm so that person. And because I had worked, right, and I didn't mention this before, but the corporate job I worked in was a tech startup. Oh, okay. So, so much of what we were doing was what I was looking to do nice. in that we were the testers for when we did release day. It wasn't no release team. Uh, we were the release <laughs> testing team, right? So yeah. I know what it meant to put together testing scripts to test the new feature or to work with our dev team on what the next feature needed to be based upon the needs sure. and how we were using the product, not just dev on the island, right? So I had experience with the conversations, not managing all of the work, but just being a part of it. And I was like, we can do an app. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> we got that. Oh, Anna. So are you familiar with the podcast 2.0 effort? It's basically, it's a, uh, Adam Curry, who's back from the MTV days, he's one of the VJs, (laughs) he's working with uh, Dave Jones on this. The first thing they did was basically create a way to a repository for all podcasts that's outside of dependency on Apple, because Apple's like, oh, if it's not in the Apple directory, it's not in the podcast. So they're like, we don't want to be dependent on that. We don't want people who have like controversial topics to be fearing that Apple like cut their feet off. So you submit your show to Podcast Index, and now it's available any app can pull from that and it's not dependent on Apple and the ecosystem, which is great. They're great for it. And then they're creating this ability to get crypto in the form of Satoshis, which is a micro percentage of Bitcoin. But what I love about it, there's a couple of apps that are doing it and they have the whole APIs and everything. So your developer at some point, if you want to connect them with that, but essentially I think it's podcasting2.0.org podcastindex.org is the main site. And then you could kind of feed off. You could see fountain is one of the apps that uses it. But what I love about it is I could be listening to a podcast and be like, oh, man, that's a great 
you know, in segment of the podcast right there. And I would go to the app and I'm like, I want to send them what's called a boostagram, which is essentially, I'll send them like 3000 Satoshis and which is kind of like 20, 50 cents or something like that or a dollar. It's just nothing crazy. But, and then I could write a note. I'm like, well, this is a great moment in the podcast where you talk about this. And then the podcaster gets that. So it's still in its early days, but it's a bit of the wild west bleeding edge technology. But I think as you think about an ecosystem where creators can get directly compensated because there was something really powerful and fun about knowing that my money is not going through PayPal. It's not going through a Patreon. It's literally going straight to the podcaster themselves and they can see the feedback. And I've read some of them out. So it's a combination of like what they call it is a value for value model. Essentially what they're saying is like, if you value this content, you can pay us with your time, your talent or your treasure. Any one of those are helpful for them. And so I could send you some information later, but it's something as you start to build and think about what the future of the app could look so that podcasters are not so dependent on the CPM model, which is challenging, right? Because CPM costs per thousand and typically it only starts to make sense when you get to the 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 downloads and then the sponsors will look for you. So, but I think what you're creating this ecosystem, it's a bit of, it's a network effect too, because all the shows can help each other out and you can probably start to do some promo swaps and stuff. So what's the status of it now and what's the roadmap look like? 100%. So we're looking to drop the beta version in July 2022, and then the public beta version in September of 2022. And so over the last year, we've been able to build out a working prototype that we are then able to show investors of what the major vision of what this app looks like is from beginning to end. And then we've been able to have conversations of what the actual MVP looks like and What do we need to actually get out to the marketplace? And I continue to refine and remove features as timelines continue to get pushed. We don't need it. We do not need it right now. We don't need, we don't need offline listening. Okay. Scope creep. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what we not going to do? So at some point we got to put it in people's hands, right? To play around with, break, fix, bugs, features, all the things. And so we're getting pretty close with that. And I'm really just blown away by the reception that I've received from folks in the podcasting community around what we're building. I'm still shocked that no one has built it. <laughs> right? Like yeah, some yeah. things just seem like, you know, when someone creates something, you're like, duh, yeah. like that don't exist. <laughs> like, that's what I feel like we're doing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. what, like something else I've found in the podcasting space is that is there's segments and it's because people like to be with their people, right? Sure. Everything is culturally aligned and I, and I think it's good, but it also can cause, people can also just be on their own islands, right? But I feel like we are able and in a space where we're not competing with anybody. We're not competing with anyone, not anyone's initiative or group or conference or anything like that. I feel like we actually have the ability to bring people closer together. Like how can everyone's work help each other's work? I think there's, I hear a lot of things in the podcast community around trying to be like Hollywood or with the like awards and like the recognition and all that good stuff. And, and I tap into the community that's just like, or we can do better than that because Hollywood ain't doing good enough. Yeah. That's not exactly a system we want to try to replicate (laughs) or model. We don't want want that model. We want to do better than that. Right. And I hope that the work that we do at the cube showing the visibility Right. And putting people and showing that there is representation of people of color in this space, I think can help do that work and help prove that work. And I think to your point, too, absolutely, there's opportunity, I think, for ad revenue share. I think there's opportunity for podcast swaps and ad swaps. I think there is opportunity for collaboration that that is probably going to blow my mind when it starts to happen and growth. So. I think all those things are possible. People tell me things all the time around their ideas and what they see around the cube. And people call it a community. People have said, like, when is the first cube conference? They'd be cube like, the first cube. <laughs> stop it, Harry. You stop it. You Don't get me it? going. I'm the marketing guy. I'm just like, ooh, the ideas are coming. <laughs> That's good, too. I'll give you all the credit. Okay. Grab that domain, by the way. I probably should. Yeah, yeah. So good, good. But yeah, like right. I didn't. These are not things I thought about. Yeah. All I wanted to do was create a place of discovery for the best BIPOC and QTPOC podcast, while also making it easy for people to listen to our radio station. 
And I feel like we're getting really close to that. I feel like we're going to create that. And that is exciting to me. And for the listener, that's Cube with a Q in case they're looking like, oh, yes. we'll have all the links in the show notes. So don't worry about that. And I think what's interesting, I have a second show called the Vertical Farming Podcast. It's totally random. But what I noticed, because we own an agency that produces shows, I looked at an industry that was getting a lot of funding, like VC money coming in. And I was like, oh, VC money equals marketing dollars. And so I'm going to speak about this a podcast movement in Dallas in August. I'm speaking on Thursday. But oh, I'll have to come to your session. I've generated over $60,000 in revenue, sponsorship dollars from companies who understand because it's called SEO. It's called Vertical Farming Podcast. Like, guess what it's about? It's no surprise. I have verticalfarmingpodcast.com. If you Google those three words, it's the first thing that shows up in Google. So I basically reverse engineered a show that I was knew I wanted sponsors to come and pay for. I interview CEOs and founders. So when you look and you look at the past 50 episodes, you're like, whoa, that's like the who's who of the industry. This is legit. And my, there's a LinkedIn group that has like 3,000 followers. I grabbed all the socials before I launched the show. So I was, I mean, I, I was like, oh, I know how to do long form interviews. I've done over almost 300 podcast junkies. So I can do the, I don't have to be a subject matter expert. And now I've got someone who's like creating an app in like for gardening and they want me to like advise them. And I'm like, two years ago, I knew nothing about the space, but that's just to demonstrate for the listener, for the folks who are starting their own shows, like the more niche and the more specific, the better. And if it's something in an industry where there's, there's marketing dollars, don't be limited to the CPM model. Think about how you can create something that a sponsor would be like, whoa, like if those are the people that are going to be listening, like I want to partner with you because that's who we want to align with. So we can have offline discussions and I'm happy to like talk if you have webinars on this for your community. Happy to teach what I've learned so far. And we could talk at Podcast Movement as well. I'd love that. I'd love to talk at <laughs> Podcast Movement. I'd love for you all to be a partner with us. It don't come with no costs. Okay. <laughs> We're just trying to grow awareness and users, right? And to the app. But to your point, you having a very specific audience is where the magic happens in podcasting. No one person should be talking to the world. Leave that to somebody else's work. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Your work should be talking to your people, what you're passionate about. Harry reverse engineered that whole situation. <laughs> okay. You had to have a little interest in some greenery or, some yeah, 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 or something, yeah. but that, right. But at the end of the day, like you have to talk to a very specific group of people and there are people who want to reach those very specific group of people. And so I found that just with my own identities of who I wanted to talk to and who I was passionate about. And that was its own journey in and of itself. But you can do that, too, because it's something you're passionate about. I think this is great. There's a podcast called, I think, Stitch, Please. Okay. It's all about stitching. She talks about stitching. And I'm not someone who stitches, yeah. but my friend produces this podcast. I love that name, right? too. <laughs> Stitch, Please. Okay. And it's great. And she's traveling yeah. to different cities where her people are and doing these live oh podcasts. My God. That's so good. And let me tell you this funny story. I'm on my Facebook page, scrolling through, wasting time. And one of my Facebook friends is like, I'm at the Stitch Please conference. Oh, my God. I'm like, there is no way. No way. Wow. Yes. Excited. Like, totally fangirling over Lisa, who hosts this podcast. And just like, I can't believe this is here. She's so wonderful. This is like an amazing moment for me because she loves stitching. That's crazy. And I think that... Yeah. It's just like at the heart of the story about podcasting is that there is absolutely something for everybody. When you perfect your craft, you put the energy into it, you talk to your audience, you talk to a very specific group of people. You too can travel the country talking about of course, stitching. Of course. Right? And experts in stitching yeah. and like how it creates community and like whatever you want to talk about. Like it's possible. That is no joke. And early, I guess from a couple of years ago, Joe Milmean, she had a podcast called Shiny Bees and it's about. I don't know if it's sewing or knitting, and I'm going to get roasted for this because there's a big difference between both. Like, you know, the sewing community, don't mess with the knitting community, and the knitting community be like, yo, this is not sewing. So I think it's knitting. Yeah, right. it's about knitting. But yeah, it's just kind of like, that's a thing. And there's so many, I talk to people who like are love dinosaurs that I know, I love dino podcast, and there's a couple, and they just like, were in like, they worked with a museum or something like that, and they became a passion. They have sponsors now. It's crazy. Like, all they talk about is dinosaurs. <laughs> it's so crazy. But it's so much fun because you're doing, like, what lights you up on a regular basis. I'm almost afraid to ask if there's any other projects you're working on right now. <laughs> you should be because the answer would be yes. Oh, man. Because we also create our own content. Okay. 
And so that's like, that's a whole nother project. We've got five podcasts currently in production right now, okay. all centering around race and sexuality in some shape, form or fashion. And I think it's just important for us to be adding content to the canon of work out here already in podcasting. That's important. I'm also really passionate about that. So I'll just leave it. Yeah, at yeah, this, We're producing our yeah. own Cube Originals okay. that will be available inside the app. Yeah. And then you can listen to all of them if you upgrade to our premium side of the app. And you can listen to a few if you stay on the free side. So that's how we I just had like a vision of you being like the new BET, like next level, like. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Eric, keep vision, okay? Yeah, I'm doing manifest. From your mouth to God's ears. Manifest Manifest it all. Okay. Let the universe hear you loud and clear. We're going to try to land this plane now. A couple of questions now as we wrap up. Yes. What is something you've changed your mind about recently? Okay. What I have recently changed my mind about is how much I need my air fryer. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is a very real thing. I use it every day now. After it sat underneath my cabinets for years, I finally pulled it out and I don't know how I was living without it before. (laughs) What is it? It just makes the the meals just like, it's fried without the oil, without the greasiness, right? Well, there's that part, but it's also just quicker. Yeah. And you don't want your house to be hot with turn on the oven. I literally turned on the air fryer. And for someone who's also trying to make healthier meals, when I can just like cut up the chicken and marinate it and keep it marinated in the refrigerator, like a restaurant, and then pull it out when you're ready to cook it, nice. then you have like fresh lunch and fresh dinner. And like instead of it warming up in the microwave, yeah. you spend five minutes in the air fryer. I got no air fryer endorsements, people. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I definitely you start, but it, so then me, I'm like, okay, we got to start the air fryer podcast. And then just like you call it the air fryer podcast. And then just like you just got someone that's just going to be sponsoring that. So I'm always like, it just never stops. I'm just like the marketing ideas just, just keep on going. So I just want you to know that many people told me when I first got my Instant Pot that I should be having an Instant Pot podcast <laughs> because of how much. I was in it to win, yeah. right? And there's instant pot communities. Yeah, I'm sure. And like, it gets intense. It's another rabbit hole. Well, I mean, kitchen appliances, it tends to be a slippery slope because I mean, I got just got a, a rice cooker because I used to have one before. And even something as simple as that, just, just drop the rice in and just let it sit. But there's like the sous vide stuff where like real fancy, fancy, like four, three, four hundred dollars stuff where you put in like the rice, you put in the salmon, you put in the veggies and it cooks it all at different times. And it's got, and then you just come home and it's like a meal, chef prepared meal for you. It's got like, keep stuff cold, keep stuff hot. That's a rabbit hole like this. It yeah. sure is. And I've got my friends who have pussy V, everything. Uh, got their temperature in the water. They're like, oh, yeah. it's done. I don't care what you think it look like. It's yeah, yeah. done. I like Mm-mm. I like my chicken fried hard. I don't know what's <laughs> happening here. <laughs> okay. What's yes. the most misunderstood thing about you? That everything I do is queer. Okay. People think that everything that I do is queer. Even though I lead with black indigenous people of color, yeah. all I hear is queer. And there's more to me than that. And I think that they listen to this full episode and I think they'll, they'll discover that. I think what's been fascinating is when you hear your journey and when you hear the jobs you've had and when you hear like your family experience and when you hear your experience coming out and your the jobs that allow you to start these businesses i mean it almost there's this sense that like you were you were made for this moment you were made to be the right person at the right place at the right time to join everyone else who's doing parts of this. And I feel like you're in your zone because a sense is just like you feel like you're doing the work that you were meant to do. And so I just I applaud for you for like sharing your journey, but just kind of inspiring people to just know what's possible and just showing people what's available when you decide that you want the world to look like a different place. And that if you decide you have a role to play in this, that it's your responsibility to go. And sometimes you can figure out the what And then the how, you can kind of like figure that out later. But as long as you're clear about what you want the change to be, I think a lot of the stuff, these doors start opening for you and these possibilities just become more and more expansive. I receive all of that. And thank you for saying that because it means a lot to me. Because oftentimes as someone who's 38, going to be 39 in a month or so, and who looks at so many of my colleagues and 
business associates and even some of my friends who started their journey 10 years before I did. Yeah. Right. And sometimes you can get stuck in this place of comparing yourself with other people or should I have left earlier? Like, is this time? Is am I? Yeah. But when you sit in, I am in the right space in the right time. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do right now in this moment. Yeah. I can be nowhere else than where I am right now. Yeah. And you sit in that and you believe that, right? Then things do become more clear. And sometimes it can get a little hazy. So then you tap into the tools, you tap into, um, people ask me all the time, what keeps me grounded? My prayer and meditation corner keeps me grounded and my family. And so thank you for that. So where's the best place for folks to, to start down the rabbit hole of learning what you're up to, connecting with you and supporting you? I think the best place to start is probably our website. Okay. So visit us at e the number three radio dot FM okay. and then visit us on social media. It is e the number three radio absolutely everywhere. And then you can do the same thing with the cube. So visit the cube dot app. So T H E Q U B E dot app. And then you can follow us on social. And I think those are great places to start. And if you are on TikTok, just go ahead and do that because we have a lot of fun on TikTok. You can follow me, Anna Deshawn, there. Okay. We'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Anna, it's been a pleasure and an honor to go on this journey with you. And I'm just so happy that we ran into each other. I know that the conference itself is not the best place to go deep. Just from doing this enough times, I realize that. But I'm like, I want to know the story. And so I'm going to save all my questions for this podcast. I'm just so happy that we got to share this story with my audience. And so I appreciate you for that. I appreciate you wanting to dig deeper in this conversation. It's been a blessing to me. And so hopefully it's a blessing to your audience too. So thanks, Harry. Thanks again to Anna for coming on the show and sharing her fantastically inspiring story. Always appreciated when my guests get to spend an hour of their time with me. I don't take that lightly. Full show notes are available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 302. We go through a lot of work in putting these summaries together, timestamps, links mentioned, any resources, so you can focus on listening to the episode and not worry about having to take notes, as I am prone to do with some of the shows that I like. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Check out his fantastic music catalog at cedarsoil.com. Don't forget to support our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the latest, which is the Vocaster, which I'm using and loving super sleek super sexy can't say enough good things about it head on over to podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster podcast production marketing provided by fullcast learn more about how a podcast can be helpful for your business or brand at fullcast.co tune in next week for my conversation with laura michelle powers and if you've made it this far you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag let's go with e3anna that's hashtag e3anna Make sure you tag podcast underscore junkies and Anna at Anna Deshawn. That's A-N-N-A-D-E-S-H-A-W-N. Thanks for all you do to support this show. I'll talk to you next week.